0: bit, uh, catch up a little bit. So this past Sunday, seven days ago, uh, we had a friend of ours that was visiting from uh, the Netherlands and he's actually never been to uh, the well before. He's never been to the States before at all. Um, And so he was here for the first time and we got him a bunch of barbecue and things like that. And he was wondering why he doesn't live in America. So uh, (laughs) he loved it. And, but we were talking on Monday before he left. And uh, one of the things that he said was, he said, I said, Hey, what'd you think? You know, give me your feedback. He's a a missionary over in the Netherlands, and he said, uh, Tori, I, I don't think that you understand or realize the depth of uh, leadership, the depth of community, really the depth of spiritual maturity that you guys have uh, in your midst. Man, the Lord has poured out his favor unlike any place I've ever been or seen before. He's been a pastor in South Africa and the Netherlands, obviously now leading a church there. And he actually went as far to say this. He said, uh, if uh, all of Christendom around the world uh, dissipated and your church was the only church left, you would actually still be able to carry forth the mission of the gospel, and the whole world would be able to hear it. And he said, it may take longer, obviously, right? But like, God has blessed you guys with that much leadership, and that much uh, spiritual depth, and the spirit is just so clearly present. And uh, I agree. (laughs) Uh, It's kind of like when you're a parent, and somebody says something great about your kid, and you know, you're like, Yeah, of course my kid's smart, right? Like, you would never not say that. I do feel that way. But I really do feel like just thinking about the past and where the well has been and things like that, it is evident and obvious that God's hand of blessing has been continually on this church in ways that uh, are really even hard to measure sometimes. Literally, you go from before we were even technically a church, we had 10 days left to find like a church building, and we got one for free for the whole year, right? And you start adding up the way that God has orchestrated and moved from then until now, and it's just clear that it seems like God's hand of blessing has been on this church and so uh, like everyone though I think there are seasons of hurts There are seasons of hiccups. There are seasons of kind of ups and downs. I mean, we're still uh, only four years old as a church, right? And so uh, it's kind of like uh, my four-year-old, right? She still stumbles and falls and runs around and doesn't really know how to walk straight yet and falls on the corner of your coffee table and you have to go get stitches sometimes, right? Like this just happens, okay? And I think that very similarly it happens uh, in a body, particularly when uh, there is hurt that uh, really there's nothing that people can do about it. that uh, it happens either from the outside coming in from a spiritual perspective or, unfortunately, from the inside stemming out that really hurt relationships and things like that. And I think that even through uh, those aspects and even through those uh, seasons of difficulty and pain like God's hand of blessing is still so clearly evident on the church, even just as a cool little uh, miniature example of that. In the month of May, from what we know, uh, we saw seven people give their life to Christ, uh, either in service or uh, through personal relationships and things like that. And like, that's a lot, right? Like, that's, that's a lot of people. Yeah, that is worthy to be freaking excited about, right? Like that is a good thing, you know? And so uh, I I just want you to know that uh, I feel like, and when our friend said this to me, I really felt that to be true, that man, God's hand of blessing is on this. I hope that you feel, understand, know that like your service is not in vain. Like we are a part of something that is far bigger than ourselves that literally lasts for eternity, right like like the salvation of people's souls the the growth and depth of our relationship with Jesus like this is literally an eternal thing this is something that lasts forever more than almost anything else we can put our hands on here on earth and so uh God is clearly piecing together our staff he's piecing together leaders he's piecing together different puzzle pieces and even just thinking about really like Like things like the worship team let's just say right like literally a year ago we didn't know if we would even be able to have worship some sundays because we had one team and now we have four four whole teams right which obviously is great because it expresses our diversity and every week you'll see somebody different and it will feel a little bit different but it's even more great because i mean you can plant a church send a whole worship team and you would lack literally nothing Right, Like, God is clearly orchestrating things and, and maneuvering in ways. And so I think that if I were the enemy, I would try to discourage and sow seeds of discouragement from inside to get us to believe that that's not true, you know? I mean, skip the enemy, right? If I wasn't about to preach a sermon, I would say a more aggressive word than that. Uh, like, the enemy does not have... Uh, his his, uh, ability to input darkness where light is. That does not happen. Where light is, it pushes back darkness. And so I pray that we would be advocates of that, that we would recognize that. And so I just want to encourage you, don't lose heart. Like, don't lose heart. You know, God is doing such good things here amongst our body. And I think that we have an opportunity to know, to love, to bless the Lord ourselves, but by God's grace, also bring this knowledge, this love, this blessing of Jesus to Austin and to the world around us. And so I pray that we would not grow weary in giving ourselves to that which would is eternal. I pray we would not grow weary from running hard for our king because he is worthy of all glory, praise, and honor forever and ever And I hope that you feel that and you uh, understand that. Amen? Amen. Okay. I will readily admit, I thought that on Monday, really felt like Laura was giving that to me. And then I read our text this week and I was like, there has got to be the most awkward transition that has ever existed between a point of encouragement and the text that we are in, okay? So I hope that you remember that. Like, store this over here. That wasn't a part (laughs) of the sermon, all right? Because now we're going to move into the sermon and uh, it's going to be difficult. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Uh, We will be in Genesis chapter 34. Uh, For pretty much the whole day Uh, If you don't have a Bible There's some under every second and third chair around you You can also follow along on your phone If you have the version app Click on uh, Events Type in the Well Austin You can follow along that way Uh, You can also take I think this link Do I have my slides up? Yes, there we go. You take that link and put it right into your browser, and you can follow along that way. Uh, We want your eyes on the Word, so whatever that looks like, do that, okay? Let me go ahead and set pace for a second because we are admittedly going to be talking about a very, very sensitive topic. So one of the benefits about preaching the Bible expositionally, which means chapter by chapter, verse by verse, is that you can't skip over texts like this because nobody in their right mind would just dive into this text and say, I'm going to preach on Genesis 34 this week. Like, that just does not happen, okay? And so you'll see why in a minute. But uh, I think there's a benefit there, and I think the Lord has a ton of truth in passages like this that we tend to find more difficult or we don't readily dive into because uh, the redemption in the midst of the pain that is in this chapter is almost unbearable. Like, I normally don't cry during sermon prep, but literally looking at some of this stuff, there were multiple moments where it was like, man, like, God is so good to a broken people uh, to redeem us. And so uh, there, is, there is hope for those who are hurting, and the hope is found in Christ, and I hope that we see that even today, okay? Secondly, men, all right, males, okay, God has a phrase that he likes to use with Job over and over again where he says, gird up your loins, all right? I was not have a picture of what that looked like, but... I'll save the ladies the embarrassment there, okay? Gird up your loins. The ESV actually says, dress for action like a man, all right? Now, I like gird up your loins a little bit more because that just feels like almost warrior-esque, right? But dress for action like a man is is a good understanding. The scripture is going to demand of us to act like men today, That's what it's going to be, okay? Men, this sermon is going to be directed more so to you because the text thrust is really about you and and our response to the world around us. Now, ladies, this doesn't mean you can check out. It also doesn't mean you need to look at your husband like, you listening to him? All right? I don't need to hear more amens from the ladies today than I normally do, okay? I know who talks and who doesn't. So, uh, But men, this is directly addressing you. So strap your loins on. All right. Act like men. Okay. Be ready for this because uh, I think we need to own our faults. We need to own our mistakes and we need to recognize what scripture is calling us to do with those faults and with those mistakes. And so after that lovely introduction, let's go. All right. Last week, God wrestled with Jacob, changed his name, gave him a whole new outlook on life. And so he radically met with God, right? Like has anybody here ever physically had a wrestling match with God? No, right? And so Jacob is in really a league of his own in some ways. And we saw two weeks ago, not just the conversion of Jacob, but last week we saw this heavy transformation where Jacob was literally becoming this new man. And so we should think that, man, this guy is going to like change the world for the sake of the gospel, right? He then went on and he met with his murderous brother Esau, and Esau, instead of murdering him, forgave him. And so really, it looks like all is right for the patriarch. He's believing in God. These blessings are coming. And really, the story of redemption is starting to unfold. And that's what we're going to pick up today. Uh, we're going to pick up two verses, three verses before chapter 34. So uh, Genesis 33, starting in verse 18. It says, and Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Padana Aram, and he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he pitched his tent. There he erected an altar and called it El Elohi Israel. All right, now this doesn't seem like much. However, there's something really, really important here about what's happening with Jacob that will really help us walk into the story today, okay? Where is Jacob deciding to live? Well, it says in Shechem in the land of Canaan. If you've been with us for a while, is Canaan a good place or a bad place? It is a bad place whenever it's used by that name. Now, God wants to redeem Canaan. He actually wants to set up the promised land there. But whenever it's used by the name Canaan, it actually is a negative connotation. It's the Canaanites, these false worshipers of a false god. In fact, the text actually uses the exact same language that it uses with Lot and that he pitched his tent before the city. Right? That's the exact same phrase that Lot had in chapter eighteen where he pitched his tent before the city of Sodom in Canaan. The text is there as well. So this is really trying to trigger in the reader, uh oh. Right? Like, Like that's what we should realize. Okay. Something more is happening here, like, like what's going on. Furthermore, if you've been kind of following with the story, you're able to piece together the narrative as a whole. If you look at when God first encountered Jacob in Genesis chapter 28, he told him that he would return to Bethel, right? That Jacob was supposed to go back to Bethel. And then if you go back in verse 30, or chapter 31, which was two weeks ago, in verse 3, this will be on the screen, you'll have to turn there. But it says, the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred and I will be with you. They were in Bethel. And this is where they were supposed to return. And then if you look at Genesis chapter 35, verse one, which is the verse right after the end of our story this week, it says, God said to Jacob, arise and go to Bethel and dwell there. So literally surrounding the text is this idea that Jacob is supposed to go to Bethel. It's behind him, it's before him. He is supposed to make his dwelling in Bethel. But Jacob actually stops showing short of where god is actually calling him to go now he does erect a altar which is one of the first times he's done that he actually calls it by the name of the lord and so he's kind of doing the right things but he isn't really being obedient to what god has actually called him to do he's not doing the right things fully and so the first point here which is easy and it's actually pretty applicable to all of us is that it's not enough to do godly things if they're not done in god-honoring ways It's not enough, okay? To put it another way, you can't just worship God and do with God whatever you want to do, right? It doesn't work like that. You don't have the say in this. We have to be submissive to God and obedient to him because he's not just our friend and our savior, but he's also our Lord, God, and King. And in this lordship, there's a demanding of obedience, okay? Now, many of us kind of want God how we want God, right? No amens there? I know I do right? I want God how I want God, how I think he should act, how I think he should be. And I think a lot of us do that as well. We're not really willing to do what he actually calls us to do, yet we still end up desiring his blessing. You know, we don't follow him, but then we still want the blessing of God as if we are actually being obedient. And here's the crazy thing though, is that God's command is for our good. And we see this all the time throughout Scripture. He, he doesn't command things of us that do not directly result in our good, in our benefit, in our joy. And so we want the blessing of God, but that's actually found in obedience because over here is where the goodness of God dwells. And when we reject that, when we kind of do our own thing, then we're stepping outside of the will of God. And outside of that, there's pain because God is for your good. He's a good father, right? It's kind of like with my daughter, you know? I don't like enjoy her suffering. I don't look forward to her suffering. So I don't say things like, go into the corner. You don't get any dinner tonight, I want you to sit in the corner and look at the wall and be obedient to me. And that's it, for no reason, right? Like who would do that, you know? And we kind of smile because we know the absurdity of that, but I think that some of us think about God's law like that. Like there's something that, that he says to us that isn't actually for our benefit. You know, no, I tell her things like, hey, stop swallowing the pool water so that she doesn't throw up and shut down the Y. (laughs) Yes, in case you're wondering, that is a true story, right? So I'm not trying to ruin her fun, right? I'm trying to promote her fun, but I tend to happen to know things that are for her good because I'm a lot older than she is, right? And so the God is the same way with us. And so Jacob stops short. He then kind of wants the blessing of God. He kind of is following God, but he's kind of not following God, and that's what actually propels us into our story today. So Genesis chapter thirty-four, starting in verse one. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to see the women of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor the, the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he seized her and lay with her and humiliated her. And his soul was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke to his father, Hamor, saying, get me this girl for my wife, okay? This will be and is one of the hardest stories of the Bible. Simply put, uh, Dinah gets raped by Shechem, okay? We see that even in the text and the language of the verbs that are used there. It says he saw, seized, lay, and humiliated her, right? He humiliated this woman. However, in verse three, All of a sudden, it says that his soul was drawn to her or he loved her. Okay. There's really no clean way to put this. And so I'm going to say it directly as it is. Uh, Every single time that sex is done in a violating way in scripture, the perpetrator always has corrupt ungodly, distorted views of uh, of sex in general. Every single time, it does not matter what story you look at. Every time it's not handled the way that God calls it to be handled, the perpetrator ends up with this kind of skewed mind. And so here he rapes the girl and then all of a sudden he thinks, oh wait, my my soul is drawn to her. And over and over and over again, you actually see examples of this, whether it is as extreme as this or even just something like uh, sex outside of marriage or something, like literally every single time the, 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 the mind of the person kind of gets wrapped around because God knows this powerful gift that he gave us. And when it is used in a way that he would not have us use it, then it really kind of distorts every single time in Scripture. And so unless we are kind of outside of that, unless we are better than some of these people in Scripture, we can know too that, man, that is true even for us we need to learn how to enjoy the great gift of sex. Every time it's not handled well, there's all over the place. But we see even in this, right? He says that he loves her, but then in verse four, he says, uh, go get this girl, right? He calls her a girl, which is actually a very demeaning term. In fact, in verse three, the narrator calls her a young woman. And actually Shechem himself, when he's talking to Jacob's brothers in verse 12, he also calls her a young woman. And so he knows what she actually is. He's trying to honor her in front of people, but in his heart, when a true him is kind of revealed, he sees her kind of as nothing, just as property for him to be able to use as he wishes. And so the first character of the text screams at us not to be like this man, and that is Shechem. And Shechem is licentious. Licentious simply means that you do whatever you want to do. With no regard to the law, you, you move how you want, you, you do what you want. You are the, the lawmaker in your own life. And when little boys in men's bodies do whatever they want to do, then everyone around them gets hurt. Everybody around them gets hurt every single time. When boys, who are actually men, they're 20, 30, 40 years old, but they, but they are emotionally, they are spiritually, they are psychologically still like little children. When they just do whatever they want to do, then everything around gets distorted and corrupted and hurt in very aggressive ways. I men, you need to act like men. You need to act like men. Now, maybe it's not like Shechem with rape, so you would try to excuse yourself as if you don't do this, but really when we say, I'm gonna do what I wanna do with no regard to anybody else except for myself, when we have that mentality, which if we're honest with ourselves, we have often, then we end up hurting everybody around us because God has given you as a male power, and when you yield that whatever way you want to, you're swinging a sword wildly and people around you get hurt. We have to be careful with this gift that God has given us, men. And we need to act like men. If you follow Shechem throughout the story, he hurts everybody around him. Actually, a whole village ends up dying because of his actions and his fibbing and lying. And so you can read that text more if you want, but it's super important, guys, for you to get this. He's licentious, he does whatever he wants to do, no regard for anybody, and he hurts everyone around him. And the text is yelling at men, we have to act like men. We have to act like men, okay? Then it immediately moves us into our next character, that of Jacob. It doesn't jump all over the place, but it moves right into the next person. So keep reading in verse five. Now Jacob heard that he had defiled his daughter Dinah, but his sons were with his livestock in the field. So Jacob held his peace until they came. And Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. The sons of Jacob had come in from the fields. As soon as they heard of it, and the, men, or the, and the men were indignant and very angry because he had done an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter for such a thing ought not be done, okay? There's more here than what we even have time for. But notice, what is Jacob's name? I know it sounds like a trick question a little bit, right? But remember, last week, Jacob's name got changed to Israel, Not like by him, not by a son, by God himself. God said, your name will be Israel. However, here all of a sudden, the narrator is calling him Jacob again, Why is he doing this, right? Well, in irony, the author is intentionally trying to associate Jacob with his old identity, with the old him, with the trickster, with the deceiver, with the unrighteous man. And the the author is being very, very intentional about doing that. In fact, from Genesis 33 onwards, so since Jacob gets his name changed from that point on, he's called Israel 35 times in the scripture. He's called Jacob 70 times in the scripture, exactly twice as many times as he's called Israel. And so while Jacob is a new man and there are times where he walks in this new identity, there's more times than not that he's actually walking in his old identity. He is not carrying forth this promise of God. He's acting like the old man. He's doing what he wants to do in some ways. And his inaction and following God's promise ends up in his daughter's demise. And then what does he do? He stays silent. or holds his peace, the text says, as if there's any peace in this whole situation. Jacob is there and he's silent. Jacob, the guy who literally talks too much, right, who's over aggressive, whose emotions are always on his sleeve, like remember when his son Joseph is presumed dead, he weeps and he mourns and nobody can comfort him for months, it says, and then he sees his son again and he falls down and he's weeping, this son who I love, this man who is filled with emotions, all of a sudden has nothing to say. In fact, the word Jacob is used 11 times in this text, and Jacob talks once. He is inactive. He is not doing what he is supposed to do by any way, shape, or form. In fact, in verses 3, 5, 7, 11, and 19, Joseph had opportunity to say something or to do something, or he should have responded in some way And actually every uh, uh, non-response is actually a direct sin, a direct breaking of the law. Each time Jacob says nothing, he remains silent. He's passive. He doesn't say anything as his daughter gets defiled. Much like Adam, when he watches Eve eat the apple and says nothing, so Jacob is clearly not the promised seed to come because he follows right in the footsteps of his great grandfather, Adam, and he says nothing. He is passive. Contrast that with the brother's right affections, and the text is clearly calling out Jacob's sin here. In fact, look what happens in verse 8. In verse 8, if you go back real quick and look at verse 6, Hamor wants to talk to Jacob, right? But then in verse 8, it says this But Hamor spoke with them, saying, The son of, or or the soul of my son, Shechem, longs for your daughter. Please give her to him uh, to be his wife. Who is Hamar talking to? Who is the them there? Well, he follow the story. It's actually the brothers, not Jacob. The brothers actually step up and they start doing the action. In fact, he associates Dinah being as their daughter, even though it's actually their sister, because they're the ones that is kind of doing something. Now, for context, the brothers end up killing everyone in the city, which Jacob also stays passively silent for. He does not lead them in the right way when they just kind of do whatever they want to do in some ways. And here's what Jacob says. The one thing that he says. Look at verse 30. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have brought great trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. My numbers are few. And if they gather themselves against me and attack me, then I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. Sound like a weird sentence to read. (laughs) In the Hebrew, there are 16 words there. Eight of them are first-person pronouns, I, me, my, Jacob is only concerned with himself. That's the only character in all of this that he actually is concerned about. It's him and what's going to happen to him. And he has this fear that, hey, something bad is going to happen to him. So rather than standing up for injustice, he cares too much about himself. He, he cares about what's going to happen to him. So he doesn't say anything. He is passive and he is selfish. He's not protecting his daughter. He's not giving direction to his son. He's too worried about what others may think or speak or act upon him to do anything about it. And so the text is screaming at us to not be like our second character, that of Jacob. Jacob is passive. And when boys are passive, then they hurt everything and everyone around them. Every single time. It's the next point, Co. on that. Every single time. They hurt people around them. Passivity will be the death of people around them because God has given you men, men. God has given you power. And when you do nothing about it, but you sit on it, then people around get hurt. We have to take action when we see something wrong happen. We have to not be passive, but we have to get involved. We have to stand up for injustice. We have to protect those who cannot protect themselves. And instead of roaring lions of men, like God has called us to be, we frequently fall into inaction and into passivity. God hates passivity. It's clear throughout scripture. Every time a man is passive, something tragically bad happens. And it started with Adam, and it goes all the way throughout. Men, act like men. Act like men. That's what this text is yelling. Our last character is that of the brothers already played spoiler a little bit. They trick all the men in the city, and we won't read the whole text, but what ends up happening is that they get them all to be circumcised. They said, hey, we can blend together. We'll give you our daughter. We can take your daughters as well, but you have to be circumcised. And so they all get circumcised. They agree to it because Shechem actually lies to them. He deceives them with his language. And so then they're all circumcised, and then on day three, when they're at their most vulnerable, they go and they slaughter the whole city. They slaughter the whole city for one man's actions. Is that just? Verse 25. On the third day, when they were sore, two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, which by the way, these are the the full brothers of Dinah. Remember, Jacob had multiple wives and multiple children. And so we see why they are the ones that are acting here. But they took their swords and came against the city while it felt secure, which is actually a direct uh, proverb, do not uh, fall upon somebody when they feel secure, the proverb says. When they felt secure and they killed all the males, they killed Hamar and his son Shechem with the sword and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went away. The sons of Jacob, now here's the rest of them, came upon the slain and plundered the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks and their herds, their donkeys, and whatever was in the city and the field, all their wealth and their little ones and their wives... All that was in the houses, they captured and they plundered. The whole city gets punished for one man's actions. They slaughter, then they ironically take the people's wives, which is actually just another form of rape, again, because, you know, revenge. This aggression is dangerous, right? Gordon Winham, who's a scholar or a commentator, says this. Biblical law gives no warrant for such a terrible act of vengeance. A massacre of all of the men of the city for one man's sin was as shocking to the narrator as it is to the modern ears. Yet he does subtly draw attention to the motives of Simeon and Levi by noting that they are not just Jacob's sons, but brothers of Dinah. It was Jacob's failure to act that provoked them to behave in such an extreme way. Had he not loved Leah, Dinah's mother, or her daughter, Dinah, but they did. However, there does not seem to be any doubt that the response of Simeon and Levi and their siblings is being considered excessive by the narrator. Ravi Zacharias, who's a a apologist, a theologian, he says, sin will always take you farther than you wanted to go, keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and cost you more than you intended to pay. You see the anger in the sons and their frustration, and you actually see it even in the very last sentence of this story. Read verse 31 with me, the last part. Jacob says, me, my, all this. And they say, but they said, should he treat our sister like a prostitute? They're angry. They're frustrated, right? Jacob's passivity has led to this, yet they overly act. They're overly aggressive. They slaughter all men for this one man's sin. And so Jacob's sons are our third character, and the text is screaming at us to not be like them either, for they are over-aggressive, correct to be righteously angry, correct to even try to begin to bring justice and to do something about it, but they slaughtered a whole land and took all other women in the name of vengeance, This, too, is lack of control. And when boys who are in men's bodies do things like this and they're overly aggressive, then they hurt everyone around them. Everyone around them. Anger, overaggression, this kills people. And so we see the pain of the story and we see what this text is calling us to do. Men, act like men. Act like men. This is serious, y'all. Right? This, this is serious. God has entrusted us. He has stewarded us with the protection, the provision. He has called us to sacrifice for the sake of others, for their edification and for their good. And when we don't do that, things get hurt. This is serious here, right? If you don't do this, this ends up broken and messed up. And if we act like boys and do whatever we wanna do or we're passive or we're overly aggressive, then things get ruined and I know I'm being aggressive in my language, but man, come on, come on. We have a responsibility by God to do something with this. This world needs you. It needs you. It is calling out for you. You see it all over the place, and all this overly macho, aggressive trash that's being thrown at us, or this passivity, and the men kind of shrinking down and doing nothing. Man, both of those are hurting our people. The people around us and the people that we love are hurting men, act like men. That's what this text is yelling at us, right? The world needs us, the church needs us. We were created to be freaking lions, yet sacrificial doves at the exact same time. But when we do what we wanna do, then things get hurt. Now listen, if you don't know how to do this, if you're like, man, this is hard, I don't know how to do this, listen, just ask somebody around you, Find a guy that you respect, that you look up to, who's strong, yet not overly aggressive, who's meek, yet not passive, who has the ability to play both of these sides, who gives his life for the sake of those around him. Find somebody like that and just sit around them. Go to their community group or or ask them to lunch every week or something. Figure out what it means because we have to be men. We need you guys, guys, men, males, right? We need you. We need you, you have a role to play. But here's the deal. If we're honest with ourselves, we know that we all have the propensity and the tendency to fall into some of the sins, do we not? I feel it in my heart. I hate standing up for things that's gonna make me look stupid. I withhold saying things sometimes because I know that it will lose the respect of some people. I, I, I hate that sometimes I get so angry at my one and a half year old daughter expecting her to be 25, right? That like, I feel the anger inside of me. I hate that I am licentious, that I long to do things that the scripture commands me not to do, and I know it's punishments, I know the consequences, yet I still am drawn toward that. If we are honest, we all struggle with this at times. Worse, what about Dinah? <laughs> The woman that's mentioned in the first couple of verses, and then never really gets mentioned again. Or what about all the men of the city who essentially get raped in another sort of way? They get killed for doing nothing, right? What about these people? What, what, what does this text have to say about them? Because when men are acting like boys, people get hurt. But man, what, what about what about all the people that actually got hurt? And do you know who's missing from this text as a whole? The Lord God Himself. Though the whole Bible is about him, in Genesis chapter 34, you cannot find his name once. God is absent. He is not present in the midst of this. And so here's the deeper truth in all this. When God is absent, this stuff happens. This is exactly what happens when God is not present. When there's no moral authority, when there's no power of the Holy Spirit, when there's no sacrifice of God, when God is removed, then these are the things that happen. But friends, listen to me, please. Think about the even greater and even deeper truth in this story. Where God is absent, these things happen. But all of a sudden, place the story in the context of the greater, in the context of Scripture, and look at the power of God that is found in the cross of Christ. Because here's the deal. 2,000 years later, another man would come onto the scene, Jesus, right? When God was sitting in heaven and he saw all of his daughters getting hurt by the world around them, all of the dinas, you and me, that are hurt by all these other people's sins. God didn't sit up in heaven and say, you know, they, they shouldn't have ate from the tree in the first place. I mean, which he would have been actually right in saying. No, God did not say that. Instead, God made himself a man and came down directly into the middle of this mess. And in irony, Jesus himself surrenders under the hand, though he did nothing wrong, and they saw him, they seized him, they beat him, and they humiliated him. He became a voluntary, sacrificial diner. As he's on the cross, naked, and everybody is mocking him, and he is being abused, Jesus walks into this on purpose. Why? Because he wants to heal our pain. Jesus came and he looks at the soldiers who are mocking him and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This is profound, right? Like God loves us so much that he would do whatever it takes that you and I who frequently stumble and we sin and we are the perpetrators. We are passive, we are overly aggressive. We end up doing what we wanna do, we're licentious. Jesus says, I want them to be forgiven. But friends, the dinas, the, the, the other sons, the, the people who have been sinned against, which is you and I, all of us have been the recipients of sin because of other people's mess. We have been hurt. Jesus comes to bring freedom and healing and redemption in that too. He looks at the people who have been hurt and he steps in and he takes their place that he may make them new. Friends, this is the power of the gospel. Where God is absent, everything comes unraveled. But where God is present, everything gets restored. Everything gets restored. This is beautiful. God comes in all of the mess. Listen, I know this text is hard. I know that a lot of you have unfortunately been the victims of little boys who have done things that they should not be doing. I know that all of us have been hurt by boys who are proclaiming that they are men, but in reality, they are not. All of us have been hurt by that, men and women alike, and God comes down and promises that he can restore us. He takes the place that he may wash us clean, not just when we sin, but he will remove even all of the shame of sin that is on us, and he will make us new. And one day we will be in his kingdom, if we believe in him, where this crap won't happen anymore. And we will be with the Lord forever. This is the gospel, friends. This is the gospel, that God will come down and do this on our behalf. The the cross brings justice, but it also brings freedom. It brings forgiveness to the perpetrator, but it also brings healing to those who have been sinned against. All of us need the gospel. All of us need the cross. We have to be restored. Then, out of an understanding of and a belief in that Jesus, then we can take our rightful places as ambassadors of Christ. Men willing to lay our lives down for the sake of others so that they too might be restored and healed. We have the power to stand up to injustice. We have the power to to do something. We have the very presence of God inside of us that will allow us to literally change the world, to change the world. Men, listen, listen, act like men. Better, act like Jesus the ultimate example, not just of humanity, but of masculinity. Jesus comes down and is powerful, but lays that power down. He is sacrificial, yet he gives himself for the sake of others, and he lifts them up, and he restores them, and he sees the women that are broken thrown before him, and he honors her and restores her and makes her walk anew. This is the king that we serve. This is our God, and if you believe in him, then you too can be filled with that power, man. Ladies, you can be restored and healed and you too filled with that same power. And you too use the gifts that God has given you to bring restoration to this city, to this state, to this nation, to this world. And we have the power to bring the kingdom of God in heaven as it is here on earth. This is what God calls us to do. Protect those who are hurting. Protect those who are taken advantage of. Submit to God, follow his law, it is good. Be meek, yet strong at the exact same time. Be strong. Men, give your lives away for the sake of others. This is what scripture calls us to do. And then look to Christ when you stumble, knowing that he longs to make us whole. Friends, find justice and forgiveness and find cleansing and healing in Christ. Find it in Jesus. Man, I love you guys. Let's pray. Ma'am. Jesus, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would not leave us, that you would help us not to be like Shechem, not to be like Jacob, not to be like the Jacob's sons, but that we would be like you, Jesus, the greater Jacob the true Dinah that gives yourself away, that others may humiliate you, that you may wash away all of our humiliation. God, I know that there are people in here that are struggling with things that have happened to them. what they find, please, 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 Jesus, speak to them. Let them find healing in the cross of Christ. Let them believe in this for not just their salvation, but for their redemption, for the, the making new of all of who they are. God, I feel it, I feel it. I am prone to sin. I am not above this text. This text slaughters my heart when I really think about it. God, help us to be men like you have called us to be. And God, I pray specifically that the women in this church that are found inside of the house of the well would feel so freaking safe around our men because we are willing to lay down our lives and do what it takes that they may be lifted up and made who they're supposed to be. God, let us be a people who be what you are supposed to be. Please help us, Jesus. Praise in your very beautiful name, amen.